Sat Nam. I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusingh.com. Bless you. Satnam. Well, we um, we married. Hmm. I got it. We married another one of our daughters and sons last night. So I uh, was able to uh, co-marry with a really, really great rabbi, Rabbi Stan Levy and your good friend and teacher, Azita, uh, married Ricardo Rico. And uh, it's, uh, you know, at summer solstice where we, um, before those of you who aren't married, before tantric, you have to find a partner. And uh, our daughter and um, Hari Simran who's the daughter of a very good friend of ours and a very good friend of our daughters, they got together and conspired. And they said, who are we going to find for Azita? And Hadi Simran said, Ricardo. Okay. And they told them that they were partnered up 15 minutes before White Tantric, which was a year ago last summer solstice. And like I said last night to the congregation, to the, to the witness, that uh, every one of us knew at that moment when they sat down for tantric that last night was going to happen, <laughs> except for two people and at, at the whole solstice, which was the two of them. Ricardo thought it was a, a perfect possibility, but he wasn't worthy. And Azita was running like the wind. <laughs> and so uh, I can remember when Azita said, well, we're just friends. And our daughter, Huddy Perk, said, Azita? And Azita kind of stops in her tracks and goes, yeah, what? Consider everything. Okay. So last night was just a glorious um, event. So it's uh, it's good to have an excuse for a celebration, isn't it? Right. So um, those of you who are um, still looking for that celebration, we'll help you look. <laughs>
just let us know. I remember my connection. I had been flying home from India in March of 1975, and I came to a page in a magazine that had a photograph of a painting. The painting had been done 200 years ago of um, Bibi Nanaki, who had lived 400 years ago. And a voice in my head said, there's your wife. And I thought, right. That's kind of that's silly. It's a, pa- it's a painting of somebody who lived 400 years ago, right? You know, it's not like a Facebook. <laughs> and, um, and so I just kind of put it aside. And, but I did cut the picture out and framed it and put it on my wall. <laughs> I mean, I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid, you know, it's like, and every time I go by it, I just give it a little kiss. So that was in March, and then the following December, I was at winter solstice in Florida. And I'm walking across the field, right, because it's held at this outdoor camp. And there's a, there's a, um, a yogi, a yogini, laying down her yoga mat getting ready for class and that voice jumps back in my head and says and there she is so now I'm really you know like but I'm not a player I'm not a dater I'm not I'm a yogi right I'm okay (laughs) and I go about my business about 30 minutes later Yogi Bhajan calls me over. Hey, Guru Singh, come here, come here. And he's got all these people around him. And um, he says, Guru Singh, how old are you now? I said, I'm 30. And he said, ah. And he looks at everybody and he says, he's getting too old to be a bachelor. And then he looks at me again and he says, have you noticed someone recently? It's like, so I'm really, now I'm really, you know, pushing away the, uh, the signals, right? My mind goes blank because it's like heavy pressure, right? Here's a bunch of my buddies standing around going. <laughs> and there's my teacher going. <laughs> and I didn't say a word. And he looks at me and he waits for a moment and he says, all right, when you and I are alone, we'll have a talk. So that evening, I'm visiting some friends of mine from Toronto, Canada, some really close friends of mine, Guru Tesh Singh and Guru Tesh Kar. And um, we're in their tent, their solstice tent, and in walks that woman. And now I'm just sure that everybody hears my heart because they go, kaboom, 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 kaboom. And there is zero space in the tent for her to sit except right next to me. And it's like, and it's like, hi. <laughs> so, you know, we're introduced just as people, right? Hi, Guru Singh, this is Guru Pakarmakar. Hi, Guru Pakarmakar, how are you? Kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. Right? 
And uh, so she tells the story that she saw me noticing her the whole rest of solstice, right? She, would, she noticed me noticing her. I guess that's a thing that women can do, yes. right? Because so, we men, we're blind to that, you know? It's like, it's like we just sort of walk around, you know, <laughs> noticing stuff, right? So I let, a, I let a week or so go by uh, because Yogi Bhajan was teaching and then he got back to Los Angeles here and I call him up and you know his secretary answers the phone and says oh it's Guru Singh sir and he grabs the phone he says yeah who is she <laughs> that was it didn't you know I said it's Guru Pakarmakar from Toronto I know her call her up ask her to marry you <laughs> it's perfect So I call her up. He says, but, he, but he, then he added, he said, actually, call Gurtej Singh and tell him you're going to steal his, the person that runs the yoga center. And that's my good friend, Gurtej Singh. So it's like, okay. So I call up to the Toronto Center and she answers the phone. And I says, hi, this is Guru Singh. She says, hi, Guru Singh. What can I do for you? <laughs> I said, I would like to talk to Gurteshing. She says, he's not here. They're not back from solstice yet. Would you like to leave a message? <laughs> and I chickened out. I said, no, I'll call back. <laughs> when are they expected in? And she says, well, they'll be here probably by Friday. And I says, okay, well, I'll call Saturday. So I call on Saturday, and he answers the phone, right? It's like this. It's like a Yoga West, right? And, but it's a Yoga West with a house attached to it because it's an ashram with a yoga center on the bottom floor. I says, hey, Gurtej Singh. I says, I got great news for you, and I got really, and I got really bad news for you. He says, man, that sounds like a line. And I says, yeah, but which one do you want first? He says... Give me the bad news. I said, actually, they're both the same. <laughs> he says, okay, give it to me. I said, well, I'm calling up to ask Guru Pakarma to marry me. And there's like this silence on the other end, you know. It's like, and if you've really got, if you've really got an agenda, having silence on the end or other end is like deafening, right? <laughs> it's either deafening or death. <laughs> And he says, really? He says, do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> I said, well, our teacher's putting me up to it, so um, whether it's a good idea or not, I'm going to do it. He says, okay. So they call for her. She's upstairs, and she's in the tub. And so her best friend knocks on the door and says, Guru Pakarmakar, Guru Singh's on the phone, and she says, I know. <laughs> she knew who called. She heard the phone ring in the house, right? She knew who called, and she knew why. Wow. Right? I'm like cornered here, right? <laughs> so, you know, she drives off, gets dressed, or gets whatever, and comes to the phone, and um, she says, hello? <laughs> And I state the obvious. Hi, this is Guru Singh. <laughs> she says, I know. 
and then goes silent. And um, I said, okay, Guru Singh, go for it, man. And, and I said, I'm calling up to ask you to marry me. Right? We've never dated. We've never really talked. We've never, you know, you know. And she said, have you talked to Yogi Bhajan? And I said, yeah. Now, we're, now I'm feeling affirmative, right? And she said, what did he say? And I said, he said, perfect. And that's when I felt like hours went by. Silence was probably like three seconds. And then this voice came back, okay. And that was it. She tells a story that she thought to herself, well, I could say no and go through all of my reasons why and all of my changes why and probably get back to the same yes. Or I could say yes. And uh, so just, this is just a story so that any, if any of you are in need of some support in the process, just let us know. There's many of us in the room. There's uh, Jennifer and Giancarlo. They've met at Solstice, you know. You could meet at Solstice. There's um, Jayinder Kar and her husband Jayinder Singh. They met at Kripalu. Well, they met before Kripalu, but they kind of met really well at Kripalu. So, you know, so anyway, just... Uh, oh, and then there's... Marco and Lucy, that's a good story, right? I'm doing a wedding. How many years ago was that? 23. 23 years ago. And Marco is Italian, and I don't know if he's lost much of his Italian accent, but back 23 years ago, he had this Italian way, you know? And he's waving this, this glass, which is like a champagne glass, but it's filled with water because we exchange, you know, the water and the fruit. And so they're giving each other the vows, and Marco is talking about how much he loves Lucy and how this and that. And we're under a, like a 400-year-old California live oak. And it's out in Malibu and it's a hot sunny day and we're under the shade of this tree and he's waving this glass around. And all of a sudden you hear this and the whole gathering goes <gasps> because that tree had dropped an acorn in a waving glass, it had a, it had a hole about that big to drop it through. Well, that did it, you know. Marco gave his, his testimony and the tree gave its from 400 years ago and said, I've known you two for a very long time. It's about time you got back together. So just some marriage stories for the pre-tuning in morning, right? Um, but it's, um, it's good to see these, uh, these marriages, and uh, we're good at that. I remember one time, years and years ago, um, that's when Yogi Bhajan was really arranging marriages. Mine was pretty much arranged, but it was semi-arranged, he said. And um, uh, he would just take two people in class and go, hey, you. Hey, you. Watch Tuesday morning's class. Nobody will show up. Except for married couples. 
Don't let me scare you off. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be aggressive. Let's tune in. <laughs> Maybe. It's like Azita said in her, in her, God, that was, that was like a TED talk. Azita's vows, they went on, seriously, no kidding, they were 15 minutes long. She just kept talking and talking. It was beautiful. It was absolutely, and so Ricardo's was beautiful too, but it was a hard act to follow. But um, um, in the middle of Azita's vows, she promised, she, she was in the midst of her promises, I promise to and I promise not to. She said, I promise not to interrupt you all the time. And then she paused for a moment. She says, unless I have something really important to say. <laughs> I thought, man, that is every woman's authority. You know? That is so beautiful. Back in the time of the Greeks, the concept of zero had not been entered into mathematics yet. And there were great arguments and debates over whether or not to allow zero into mathematics because of its unique nature. If you multiply or divide anything by zero, it turns into zero. If you add zero to anything, it doesn't change it. The nature of zero is the nature of infinity. Because if you add zero to something, it doesn't change it. That means that there's endless zeros inside of everything. And they don't change it. The only thing that can be infinite is that which can be not measured. And the only number that can be not measured is zero. Because zero is zero. You can't measure zero. Zero is nothing. And so there was a de great debates over the introduction of zero. But at the same time, a little further to the east as we measure direction on this planet, there was no debate about zero because the yogic masters knew that zero was where we were from and where we were returning to. Because zero is the continuum. So it may be nothing, but it's a continuous nothing. And that's an odd concept to grasp. Your brain can't grasp that, but your heart can. And that's why when your heart is leading in any situation or relationship, you're not adding or subtracting from the relationship. And if you multiply the relationship times that zero nature, you turn that relationship into zero, which means that relationship becomes infinite. Rather than zero being the nothing that you fear, zero becomes the nothing that you are, because you are infinite. To gain the advantage of that infinite zero, you have to act like you're infinitely zero. And that means that when you walk into a room, you must make it your home. That doesn't mean that you do anything to it. You bring zero into it. You don't change the room. 
You just become your infinite self within that room. Therefore, that room is your room. It doesn't mean like it's your room and you're going to take it. It means it's your room. You are at home in that room. Then your task is to enable everyone else within that room to also feel at home. To be of service. To go to them and ask them, is there anything I can do for you? I was Yogi Bhajan's driver in the early days and I would watch as we would drive to people's houses that he had never been to before. And in the early days he was kind of a, an item, let's say. And a lot of people that lived in Beverly Hills and the Hollywood Hills uh, that were involved in the music and film industry wanted to meet this new yogi that was in town. This was 1969. So we would go to people's houses that we had never been to before. Oshri, can you unfreeze the room? <laughs> so we, I would drive him to a house. We'd go to the front door. We would knock on the door and we would be allowed in usually by the help and they would show us where we could sit and he wouldn't sit. He would go through the house just opening doors. <laughs> feeling quite at home. And I would be there behind him feeling quite insecure. <laughs> yeah. Because you're in the presence of somebody that's got no limits to their being at home. And then we'd end up in the kitchen, oftentimes, after we had checked out most of the bathrooms. <laughs> and in the kitchen, he would open up the fridge. And he would look in the fridge, and he would pull things out. And then, quite astonished, the owners of the house would come into the kitchen, like, and he would turn to them and he would say, are you hungry? Can I fix you something? Okay, would be their response. Because they had never experienced this before, right? And then he would reach back in the refrigerator and he would bring out whatever was there and he would start cooking. And he would carry on a teaching conversation while he was cooking. And the people would carry on their conversation as if they were guests in his house. <laughs> and this was just a magnificent event to witness how at home he was making them feel in their own home. Because if the roles were reversed, if they were preparing him a meal, they would be very nervous. So you walk into any room and you make it your home because you're infinitely zero. And then you enable all others within that room to feel at home. And this is your task with every breath you take. It said, he said one time, and he's a direct quote, to give yourself the advantage of infinite zero, you must breathe anew. A-N-E-W, right? It's kind of an English, English word, right? You must breathe anew every moment. 
And if you're breathing anew every moment, then the hierarchies of the world aren't there. Because the hierarchies of the world are the memories of previous moments, added to memories of previous moments, piled on top of the freshness of this moment. But with that big pile up, there's no freshness in the moment because the moment is just filled with memory. And memory always triggers anticipation. So all of a sudden, you're not in this moment. You're in the past or the future. When you're in the past or the future, your nervous system reacts. And that's the sensation of nervousness. When you're nervous, you're not here. But nervousness is not a bad thing. It's a gauge on the dashboard of your life that is directing you to come here. Come here now. So as you feel nervousness, you can do things to allow yourself to get less nervous or get, become more nervous. If you're becoming less nervous, then you're moving closer to the moment. If you're becoming more nervous, you're moving further out of the moment. And then in addition to this, the thermostat is very disobedient. <laughs> I mean, I've got half gloves on to play the guitar, but I'm about ready to put my other one on the other hand, you know. <laughs> so then he went on to say, enter the space. So you're in the room, making it your home. Now, within that room, making it your home, enter the space that is not yet occupied so that you can enter the time that has not yet existed. Enter the space that is not yet occupied so that you can enter the time that has not yet existed. When you actually begin to do this, the time that has not yet existed is that future. The space that is not yet occupied is that opportunity. You know, just a little technical aside. This is perhaps the world's most unique thermostat. <laughs> you know, a thermostat has a dial. And the dial goes from, you know, like 80, 90 degrees, if you want it to be really hot, down to 50 or 60 degrees. And you just twist it like that. And the whatever is the furnace and the freezer respond, right? This one is not that way. It's got two buttons that are arrows, one up, one down, which is obvious, right? But then it has a round button underneath. And nobody that's ever worked that thing knows what the round button does. <laughs> It's like that button on the crosswalk. You're always wondering if you hit it more than once, does the thing change earlier? <laughs> we hope it does, you know, and that's why we sit there going like this. Right? Have you ever seen anybody just push it once? So anyway, did it work? Oh, yeah, Mary has the magic touch. Yeah. 
to go along with the magic thermostat that is connected to nothing. So you, you want to practice with this because we walk into rooms and a room is just a metaphor. We walk into space all the time. We walk into space that is just space created by other people. We walk into space which is just space created by circumstance. We walk into space which is space created by an idea that we have. So there's many different forms of space. We walk into space which is space created by a desire or a dream or a goal or a plan that we have. There's many different spaces. But understand that you're ineffective in that space if you're nervous. Let's not say ineffective because that's too absolute. You're less effective in that space when you're nervous. But when you're not nervous, you can be of two conditions, one of which is completely ineffective and the other which is highly effective. And those two conditions are that you are given up in the space, you're not interested in the space, the space means nothing to you, and therefore you're disconnected, ineffective. The other way is, and that's the advice that people say, oh, don't be nervous, ignore it. Just ignore it. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Uh, do something else. Get away from your nervous. You know, right? All that really good advice, so to speak, right? Is basically to distract yourself so you're not connected. Because if you're not connected, you don't feel nervous and you're ineffective. Now you've left yourself open to just the fate. The fate of the winds of change. Hmm? The other way to not be nervous is to be in the room, you're making it your room, you're enabling everyone or everything or every idea in the room to feel at home. If it's your idea, if it's your dream, if it's your plan, if it's your goal, that goal is at home, the room is your home, it's everything is feeling at home. You know, you absolutely know, this will happen. Because eventually, Everything must happen. That's the nature of infinity as it relates with eternity. Eventually, everything must happen. The task is to determine the length of eventually. How long is eventually? Because there's no law that governs the length of eventually. Because eventually is referring to infinity. And infinity is lawless. It is governed by no laws. So eventually, which is an extension into infinity or eternity, whichever form you want to use, time or space, has no laws. So therefore, it can be as long as it wants or as short as you want. <clears throat> which is open to the statement of a good friend of mine, I'll steal his quote, when is now a good time?
When is now a good time for eventually to take place? Got a dream? Got an ideal? Got a situation that would just be perfect? That was a question. Oh, there are people in the room. I thought maybe it was just a video I was working with here. Poke you. Yes? I mean, what you have to have in order to have a dream, a plan, a goal, a vision, is to believe that you have the authority to have such a thing. Because if you don't have the authority, your system is not going to be cruel and give you some kind of dream for which there is no hope. So the first step is to give yourself the authority. And what did the yogis say was the level of authority that you had to give yourself? Immortal authority. What part of your being are you relating with if you give yourself immortal authority? Your temporal body or your eternal spirit? So then if you're relating, if you give yourself immortal authority, then you're relating from that spirit which is eternal, which is living in that realm of infinity and eternity. And you're operating the physical form in the three dimensions of this world. Who can see further down the road? A truck driver in an 18-wheeler or a sports car driver in a Lamborghini? Why? Because the truck driver is what? higher, more elevated. The distance between the ground and that higher nature is the length of your spine. You have access to that capacity. You just have to do the work to get that elevation so that you can see from that higher, you can perceive from that higher perspective in every moment. Every moment feels like home. Everyone in your moment feels at home. Every idea and ideal in your moment is in your home. Now you're gaining connection. Now you get to choose the direction. You get to choose the momentum. This is what I witnessed your teacher, my teacher. In 1986, he found out that he had to quit flying as much. He was flying 50 weeks out of the year jumping time zones like crazy, teaching white tantric everywhere. And when the doctors told him that this was going to kill him really quickly, he decided that video was available, he would make it 
a video tantric course and he would spend his time focusing on Yogi T and a call security and those things as a means of supporting the organization. In his meditative mind, he would make the vast business decisions that grew Yogi T from being worth a couple of million dollars to doing over a hundred million dollars a year. And took a call security, which was a bouncer service in the local bars of Española and Santa Fe, to being a global security service doing half a billion dollars. And he did it from his meditation mat. Because he walked into the, into the room and he made it his home. What in the room don't you understand if it's your home? You may not comprehend everything, but you know you will eventually understand everything. And the question is, how long is eventually? And so he would day in and day out meditate on how this would go. And you remember the old Yogi tea boxes which still exist in Europe? The Yogi tea boxes with that incredible teacup on it? I was there when he told marketing. He had marketing and sales in the room. And he was there. He says, okay, here's the vision for our... And they're rolling their eyes because, you know, here's this crazy yogi making these really expensive business decisions, right? And he says, okay, here's the cup. We're going to meditate on the hookum and we're going to meditate and the, the cup will be just come to us in our meditation. And every flavor of yogi tea had a different cup. And they were exquisite. They were pieces of art. People would buy the boxes just to cut out the cup. This is how you can construct your dreams. It grew the business exponentially. This is how you can construct your dreams, not just in vast swaths, but down to the detail. What are the cups like in your dreams? The man who started Starbucks was in Europe having coffee and realized that the main thing they were selling in these coffee shops wasn't coffee. It was community. And so he decided he was going to create community. Because you, you could get coffee for far less money in a cafe. But he created these community centers. And then that's why people went there. People go there. This, some people, they use it as their office. Some people, they use it as their meeting place. That was the layer beneath the layer, which if you go into that room that you make your home, you feel the layers in the room. The layer of selling coffee wasn't the way to sell coffee. The way to sell coffee was to create community a layer below the act of drinking coffee. So what is the layer below the layer below the layer below your main dream goal plan? That's 
what he approached. Yogi Bhajan, the gentleman at Starbucks, approached it at a layer below. What is your dream? Just have that, okay? That's probably the top layer because that's the layer that you notice. Now your daily meditations are what are the layers below that, that top feeling, that top sensation, that top perspective, that top perception. When you have a mala, right? When you have a mala, something around your neck, something around your wrist, something in your hand, why do you buy the mala? What, what is it that attracts you to the mala? The beads. What are the beads? How do they feel? What do they look like? What is their properties, right? What's perhaps the most important thing about the mala? The string. Because if the string isn't knotted between each bead, when the string breaks, not if it breaks, but when it breaks, because it will break, you don't lose all your beads. So the string needs to be knotted, and the string needs to be of a certain fiber, and the string needs to be of a certain nature, a certain, certain thickness, so that the knots don't become obtrusive. The layer beneath the layer that is obvious. What are the layers beneath the layers of your dreams and plans and goals that are obvious? And if you begin to walk into the room of your dreams and make it your home, and then enable everything and everyone else in that room to feel at home, you begin to open the space that's not yet occupied, which are the layers below the obvious, in order to walk into the time that does not yet exist. And that is the fulfillment of your dreams. Pretty logical, isn't it? In a magical way. Hmm? It just all ties together, doesn't it? And these are the qualities that the human being has. This is known as the science of humanology. These are the qualities of what a human being has. But what human beings have done because of way, the way we have evolved through survival is that we have failed to cross that barrier. We're still trying to survive. And what the brain is known for is that if the brain doesn't have something to solve, it will create it. So if we're in survival mode, all across the world, look what we're doing. I mean, this current national election is nothing more than just an example of what's happening globally. What's happening globally is that we're producing problems in order to solve them. Because there are far easier ways of getting along. Because we all want the same thing. We all want life. We all want prosperity. We all want abundance. We all want nutrition. All of those things. And so, our task is to solve our own dreams and then teach everyone else. Walk into the room of your dreams and make it your home and then teach everyone else how to feel at home. 
not just in the world of your dreams, but in the world of their dreams. Because every dream comes true. Eventually. And the only question is how long is? Eventually. Eventually. All right? So let's do something that makes eventually shorter. into this dream state, the brain goes into a theta wave. And when the brain goes into a theta wave, it takes in more information during the waking time, during the cycle of the brain. It takes in more information and within that information that it takes in, this is what intuition is. Your system begins to see the openings, begins to notice the angles of advantage because it's in a state of zero opinion. And in a state of zero opinion, nothing is distorted. When our opinion feels hopeless, the distortion is towards that sensation. It looks hopeless. When we eliminate the opinion, we eliminate the opinion of hopelessness or of this is not possible kind of thoughts. We eliminate all those opinions and suddenly our view of our room, metaphor, our world, has all kinds of doors and openings that we can utilize. Hmm? That's a guitar pick. You see how she walked into the room and made it her home? Hmm? And so that actually, the guitar pick is what I play this with. Like that. Because it makes my finger more accurate. So I can pick a single note. So that's how you can manifest your dreams, by taking in more information in each moment. And when you take in more information, hmm? you want to you hold it? Yeah, if you want to pick it up, you can go ahead and pick it up. So you bring in all that information. You have a dream? You have stuff blocking it? You know, whatever. Did they send me to the right room? <laughs> 
because we all have that. We all have that stuff. Every single one of us. No one is excluded from that. He had it. He would go through his process. He had it. And the only difference between he and our level, but we're getting to his level and we'll surpass his level, was that he knew how to work with the information. When we see information that's blocking us, we get really... Yeah, go ahead. When he, he's, when he sees information that's blocking him, he would just use it as energy. When we see information that's blocking us, we react to it and we feel offended by it. Yes? And we feel negated by it. We feel eliminated by it. But in that moment, instead of feeling negated or eliminated, if you feel instigated, I was trying to pick a rhyming word, you know, so I complete the poem. Or initiated. Or elevated. Now we're on a roll. Or situated. There you go. <laughs> then you can pass through the moment. Yeah. It moved, didn't it? <laughs> you got to read the book, The Man Who Listens to Horses. By Monty, and I'm, not, I'm missing his... Monty Roberts. He was actually Buck's teacher, and Buck was Robert Redford's teacher that made the movie Buck and also the Horse Whisperer. But did you see how that just worked out? You knew from the, from the get-go that she wanted to hold the pick. But if it was thrust upon her, there would be this, right? So you work the angles. She's getting closer to the pick. That's how you have to work with everything, including your dreams. Because you don't want this <laughs> stuff going on with your dreams. You don't want to hit your head against your dreams. Oh, this is taking so much effort. Oh, da, 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 da. Right? Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more.